The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Well, welcome to The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. There's a wonderful new program on Prime, Amazon Prime, that just started. It's two episodes in. It's called Archie. And it's incredible. Jason Isaacs is playing Archibald McLeish, better known to the world as Cary Grant. And little Archie Leach ages from about six years old to about 10, 11 years old, 12 years old to 14, 15 years old and up into adulthood. And all the actors are remarkable. The actress that is playing Diane Cannon, you think you're watching Diane Cannon, or at least her her daughter or granddaughter. It's wonderfully written and beautifully cast, beautifully shot. And it's always there, isn't it? They've always got to push the narrative. What cued me up was the opening panel said, this is a true story. Okay, remember that. This is a true story. And then in the next card in the intro, it says, some characters and situations have been manufactured for dramatization. So it is a true story, except the parts that aren't. And one of the things that caught my eye was that young Diane shows up at Cary Grant's Benedict Canyon home in 1961, driving a Mustang convertible. Uh, guys, a Mustang convertible first model year was 1965. It didn't come out until September 1964. So how is Diane Cannon driving one in 1961? Little things like that, I notice. And you could say, oh, Tim, well, you're just being picky. And it's like, oh, really? Well, let's look at some other things in there. Young Archie gets his father's permission to go on a road show with the traveling troupe to New York City. And in New York, he catches the eye of a girl in the audience and winks at her and meets her after the show. And they go back and one thing leads to another. And Archie has his first experience with the woman who's from Wisconsin, by the way, moved to New York because there was no opportunity for her in Wisconsin. Mind you, this is in the late 20s in New York City. And oh yeah, did I forget to mention the young woman is black. Now, maybe it happened. Maybe that's exactly the way it happened. But I'm guessing that in late 1920s New York City, Archie Leach's first encounter with the woman wasn't with the black girl from Wisconsin. Just saying, let's do some research. Let's find out. Because if I'm wrong, I'll be happy to be wrong. And I'll admit that I'm wrong. I don't think I am. Because if you noticed, I've noticed, I couldn't help but noticed, my text messages and emails have been inundated with messages from friends pointing out what by now I think is obvious to everyone. Now, there are very few white people in advertising anymore. And maybe 4 or 5% of the ads have a black male voiceover when they use a voiceover artist, but almost all of them, at least 95% of them, using a black woman. And 
it sounds like the same black woman. So if there's a black woman out there, and she's got a gorgeous voice, don't get me wrong. She's a beautiful voiceover artist. And if it is a real live woman, good honor for getting all these gigs because it's literally every single ad that uses a voiceover artist. Doesn't matter if it's for Big Pharma, doesn't matter if it's for grocery store, perfume, skincare, doesn't matter what the product or service is. It's the same voice, which, which kind of leads me to wonder whether it's actually an AI-generated voice. And if it's an AI-generated voice, why is it always a black female voice? Why is it the same black female voice? Were they not able to replicate an Asian female voice? Were they not able to replicate a Caucasian female voice? Oh, Timbo, you can't tell what race somebody is just by their voice. Well, sometimes no. Usually, yeah. I mean, sometimes you get a a white girl singing the blues that just got amazing pipes and you never know it. And sometimes you've got a black man singing and you think it's a white guy. So yeah, it happens, but not very often because there's a, a timbre, a richness to most black voices that you don't find in a lot of other races. Sometimes you do, but very, very rare. My point in all this is not to be racist. I'm not a racist, but calling out racism is not racism. And what I'm seeing is racism. What about all the other actors and actresses that can't get gigs? We hear reports of white male comedians showing up for auditions and saying, oh, we love you. We love you for this part, but it's problematic to cast a white male now. <laughs> Heaven forbid you're a straight white male. Yeah, you're, the, you're the lowest of the low. And it's this elevation of certain genders, certain races, certain types of people over others as part of the diversity, equity, inclusion agenda, mind you, that is anti-diverse, anti-equality, and certainly not inclusive. I'm Timothy Shea. This is The Reckoning. Do you know there are many ways you can listen to TNT Radio? Why not stream us direct from our website on your desktop, tablet, or mobile device, or download our app from the App Store? We even stream live on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, Facebook, and X. We've got you covered on TNT Radio. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. A new congressional investigation has found that several of the nation's largest pharmacy chains gave patients medical records to police and government investigators without a warrant, raising concerns about threats to medical privacy. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT radio news producer Adam Clark. Thanks, Timothy. Um, yeah, this doesn't sound good, does it? Uh, so uh, a press release coming from the United States Senate Committee on Finance has revealed that large phar pharmacy companies, household names, we're talking here, people, that would include CVS, uh, Walgreens, Cigna, OptumX, Walmart stores, the Kroger company, Rite Aid, and Amazon Pharmacy provided private health information to law enforcement agencies without a court order. That's illegal, uh, at least from where I'm sitting. Uh, Senate Finance Committee Chair Ron Wyden, Democrat from Oregon, Representative Pramila Jayapal, Democrat from Washington, and Representative Sarah Jacobs, Democrat for California, wrote a letter to the Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra on Tuesday informing the department of their oversight inquiries findings. 
Quote, uh, here's what the Democratic lawmaker, lawmakers wrote in the letter, quote, though briefing through briefings with the major pharmacies, we learned that each year law enforcement agencies secretly obtain the prescription records of thousands of Americans without a warrant. In many cases, pharmacies are handing over sensitive medical records without review by a legal professional, end quote. The letter also claimed that most of the pharmacy giants have failed to inform patients that their private medical information is being provided to law enforcement agencies despite being legally required to do so. There's a failure happening here from two sides. The lawmakers previously contacted the HHS in July, demanding the agency increase protections for Americans' medical records by strengthening HIPAA regulations, H-I-P-P, I mean, H-I-P-A-A, sorry. Um, the oversight inquiry found that privacy practices, quote unquote, vary widely between various pharmacy companies. The letter explained, quote, all of the pharmacies surveyed stated that they do not require a warrant prior to sharing pharmacy records with law enforcement agents unless there is a state law that dictates otherwise. Those pharmacies will turn medical records over in response to a mere subpoena, which often do not have to be reviewed or signed by a judge prior to being issued, end quote. Only Amazon Pharmacy, interestingly enough, stated that it notifies its patients when a law enforcement agency has demanded their medical records. CVS Health is the only pharmacy publishing annual transparency records regarding law enforcement's requests for medical records. Uh, and let's see, Walgreens, uh, Walgreens, Walgreens Boots Alliance, that's the full name, uh, and the Kroger Company stated they would provide similar reporting. But they, they, they don't right now, but they said they will. Uh, Wyden shared a chart on X detailing the top eight pharmacies' privacy practices. Wyden stated, quote, It turns out that the major pharmacies in the U.S. routinely provide patient medical records to law enforcement without a warrant. The potential ramifications of this for anyone on birth control, medication for mental illness, or other personal conditions are staggering, end quote. CVS Health told the Washington Post that its policies align with HIPAA, H-I-P-A-A. The spokesperson noted that its team is, quote, trained on how to appropriately respond to lawful requests from regulatory agencies and law enforcement, end quote. Uh, a CVS Health spokesperson told the Post, quote, we have suggested a warrant or judge-issued subpoena requirement to be considered, and we look forward to working cooperatively with Congress to strengthen patient privacy protections. Oh, the lip service is killing me. Uh, according to the spokesperson, most law enforcement uh, requests are confidential, preventing the pharmacy from alerting its patients. However, for those without a confidentiality requirement, the pharmacy considers, quote, on a case-by-case -case basis whether it's appropriate to notify the individual, end quote. Here's a hint. It's always appropriate to notify them. Uh, a Walgreens spokesperson told the Post that the company abides by HIPAA policies and it takes uh, its, quote, customers' privacy seriously as well as our obligation to law enforcement, end quote, more lip service. Uh, an Amazon pharmacy spokesperson told the Post that it cooperates with law enforcement requests as required. The spokesperson noted that those requests, quote, represent a very small percentage of the prescriptions we fill for customers, end quote. Uh, and according to the Post, Rite Aid declined to comment. Uh, you know who else replied, uh, declined uh, to comment? 
would be the HHS and other pharmacy companies. Uh, they didn't respond to requests from The Hill or The Washington Post, other than the ones that I mentioned there, Timothy. So shocking, disturbing. Uh, what are we going to do about this? Probably nothing, I'm sure. But what do you think? Well, I'm actually not shocked. I am disturbed, of course. I am surprised that people didn't realize this was going on. I'm also pleasantly surprised that it was Democrats that are exposing this. Where are the Republicans? The ones that are supposed to have our backs? Because I guarantee you that most of these requests, Adam, came as a result of applications for concealed carry permits. I'd be very surprised if most of these requests didn't originate as the result of someone applying to exercise their Second Amendment rights. And this is what goes back. If I, you know, if I had a time machine, if I could just whisper in their ears, hey, guys, take out the preamble to the Second Amendment, because it says a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of the state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. <clears throat> It should just say the right of the people to keep and bear arms should not be infringed, boom, period. Because most of the uh, mischief, most of the chicanery, most of the shenanigans that have gone on with Second Amendment jurisprudence have gone on because of that preamble. Okay, oh, well, well regulated, therefore we can well regulate it. And, and states have done that. I think those efforts are not only unconstitutional, but anti-constitutional. I think they defeat the purpose of the Second Amendment and need to be stricken. We're hoping here that the second New York Rifle and Pistol Association versus our wonderful governor, Kathy Hawkapahokal, is going to result in constitutional carry being deemed the law of the land, that all of these state regulations are unconstitutional. I, I do hope that that's the case because I, I believe they are unconstitutional. And again, where are the Republicans? How come the Republicans aren't on this issue like these Democrats are, who ordinarily I, I disagree with most of what they do, but I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Unless I've completely misread this and, and am missing something, I'm pleasantly surprised that they've done us all a service and exposed the fact that these pharmacies are doing what, what I assumed they were doing all along. Yeah, well, one thing I'm learning uh, the older I get, Timothy, is the little D and the little R next to the person's name doesn't matter so much as the person themselves. So, you know, it, these these pleasant surprises will happen across both sides of the spectrum occasionally. Uh, it's just, you know, infrequent lately, uh, especially since the um, arrival of Donald Trump on the scene. Uh, things have been very much more split, whereas there were a lot more variety going on, I think. Uh, we really kind of... It became a duality thing, uh, but that was the the point of all of that back in the day. This division uh, between two warring opposing sides, always constantly. Um, but yeah, I, I, the Democrats, the Republicans, I don't care who they are, uh, which party they come from. If they're doing the right thing, I'll happily uh, give them my support in any way I can. Um, usually, that's not with my vote because they're usually people not in my district. Uh, so there's nothing I can do. But you know, I'll always point out the oh, good. Yeah, no, intellectual honesty compels us to at least give the devil his due. You're listening to the Reckoning on TNT Radio.
TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it, pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went. To, I bet you more than fifty percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. since since well under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down. Thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world these people are have been after israel forever and and uh, supported by iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them uh, you know basically uh create chaos in the middle east terrorism and and we saw what happened earlier this year about a month ago uh, the two one attack in israel and the death and destruction rape and kidnapping more than 240 people kidnapped joe hoft on today's news talk radio tnt Council and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Dumasani Washington is the founder and CEO of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, the IBSI, and the former diversity outreach coordinator for the over 10 million member Christians United for Israel. Dumasani is a pastor, professional musician, a graduate of the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, and author whose latest book is the second edition of Zionism in the Black Church, Why Standing with Israel Will Be a Defining Issue for Christians of Color in the 21st Century. He and his wife Valerie have been married 35 years and have six children and three grandchildren. I'd like to welcome to The Reckoning for the first time, Dumasani Washington. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. I love following you on X. And a friend of mine sent me a post that you had put out a few months ago. I'm like, wow, this guy really knows what's going on. And I started following you and I really enjoy that feed. And why don't we start, let everybody, because you've got so many, what are the important ways to follow you, both your websites and your X accounts? 
Um, also on X, yeah, it's Dumisani, uh, that weird looking name in the middle. It's, uh, they're all, they're both, uh, foreign languages, Temeskin. Uh, so if you find it on there, Dumisani, my, my, uh, last name is Washington, but if you Google that on there, you'll see that on X. I'm also on Instagram, Dumisani six. And, um, let's see, I'm on LinkedIn, Dumisani Washington, my, my business name, if you will. Uh, and then also it's kind of interwoven with our Institute for Black Solidarity, um, social media so you'll see ibsi or ibsi dash now on instagram twitter facebook and on linkedin as well and youtube outstanding as well. yeah and I, I strongly encourage people to find you and what you're doing both individually and with the institute i'm roman catholic myself and i understand the importance of standing with israel and protecting our jewish brothers and sisters our elder brothers and sisters in faith as saint pope john paul ii like to call them what led you to this understanding? I know you're a pastor. When in your lifetime did it? Did you become aware of the need to do this? Um, the political or geopolitical part of it, Tim, probably around 2011, 2012 is when that started. Uh, with, for me, I was in, well, how long ago was in my 40s at that point. Uh, but I was like you, though I wasn't Roman Catholic, I was brought up in a Baptist church uh, born in Little Rock, Arkansas, during the segregated South. My parents were faithful members of the King Solomon Baptist Church. I grew up in California because when they moved with our big family, I was only one. Uh, but there's a lot of spiritual Zionism in what I call often often a, a historically traditional black gospel church, right? In terms of preaching and music, right? Everything from the Negro right. spirituals that went back to the times of slavery, uh, to the gospel songs and all those things. There was always this theme, whether it was the prophets, whether it was Moses, or even if it's Jesus in terms of the gospels, there's this theme of, of slavery to freedom. And so this was not unique for me coming up in that. And also as a musician playing those songs and everything, including Lift Every, Lift Every Voice and Sing, right? Knowing those songs very intimately. Uh, so there's a spiritual Zionism that was there, right? This is what even Dr. King, when he would preach, uh, the people may, may not realize that when on the March on Washington, he quoted from the Bible as much as he did from the constitution, right? Um, and he's talking about things that are allusions to the scriptures. Um, and so this was like, it, it was very commonplace for me. But the political part was later on, Tim, when I, among many other things, of course, I'm jumping over a lot of time, realized that in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the weapon most often used against Israel was a one of disinformation, right? And it was almost race-based, right? It's calling Zionism racism, calling Israel an apartheid state, not only those things lies, but they are actually an exploitation uh, in terms of the people who actually experience those things, both in terms of African-Americans and I have a South African family, ironically. And so who black South African uh, married family who recognize they're married into, I should say, uh, who experience uh, apartheid and know full well that Israel is none of those things. Well, exactly. And it is a lie. I say that everything on the left is either a lie or based on a lie. You know, I love it when they accuse people who speak out against Islam as being racist. It's like, wait a second, Islam is not a race. You've got, in fact, the autobiography of Malcolm X, he said when he went to Mecca, that was his his awakening that uh, Don Muhammad in Chicago had it wrong because he saw uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Muslims, and he, he saw Asian Muslims and of all uh, stripes and colors. And likewise with israelis you've got black jews right. so where does the racism come in into play right and it, it's, again it's, though it, it's a lie 
And yeah, what I love is the the archaeological discovery last year of right. coins from 2,200 years ago with the oil lamp on them, which proved not only does Israel, the, the Jewish people, not only do they have right. a birthright claim on that land, but right. that they've been there for at least 2,200 years, and yes. that the story of Hanukkah, which we're celebrating the seventh day tonight, mm -hmm. is true. It's a true story. Right. right. One of the many fascinating things, as you know, Tim, over the just the 75 years of the reborn state of Israel, like you said, the archaeological evidence uh, of the Jewish people's 3,000 plus year connection when it yeah. comes to Israel. Uh, it was only about a year or two ago, I believe, that they found part of the stone that was one of the stones that Joshua used at the time when they had the blessings and the curses. They had, you know, they they did what God told them to do in the Torah. And here they are, they're reading the blessings. And then one group of people stood on one side, one on another side. They found artifacts from that time, which was literally towards the beginning of the birth of the state of Israel. So absolutely uh, of the nation of Israel, again, thousands of years ago. And that's what's amazing. And of course, oh, by the way, we know those things because since the Jewish state has been able to reclaim sovereignty in its homeland, uh, we can now visit these sites, right? Not just Jews, but Christians, Muslims, everyone, right? You're welcome to go to the Temple Mount. You're welcome to go to the Western Wall. That was not the case when Israel was not in control of its own land. That's absolutely correct. And I want to get into that a little bit more, that disparity after the news. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio. Okay, everybody, listen up. Big news. Real big news. Here we go. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The Republican Party has announced plans to initiate contempt of Congress proceedings against President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, following his refusal to comply with a subpoena for private testimony. The United Nations Climate Summit, COP28, held in Dubai, concluded after over two weeks of negotiations with a resolution to gradually move away from fossil fuels. Mark Drakeford, the First Minister of Wales, has declared his intention to resign from his position as the leader of the Labour Party. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Dumasani, you mentioned the disparity between what the Muslims claim about, the Palestinians claim about the state of Israel and, and what we know to be true. The, Israel's, the Jewish people's birthright hold on the land. It's amazing to me also in the current situation how, you know, we can distinguish between or differentiate, I should say, we can differentiate between the government of the state of Israel and the Jewish people and the Israeli people, just as we can here in the United States. I've often said I love my country. I'm not always so crazy about my government. We know that CIA has committed many crimes, both home and abroad, including the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. So you sure, Mossad might not have done everything the way everybody would like them. But when people point this out to me, oh, well, Mossad's as bad as our CIA, I point out to them, I, I reply by saying, okay, but we can at least agree 
that October 7th was atrocious and you can condemn that, right? And it amazes me how many people can't even bring themselves to condemn what happened on October 7th. Tim, it's my opinion uh, that October 7th, unfortunately for all of us, or maybe fortunately, brought out the inner Nazi in a whole bunch of people, right? Meaning you saw Hamas terrorists or evidence of it, of the slaughtering, and you, we don't have to go through down the list, right? Just the most disgusting, right? The inability for some to condemn that as a bad thing, whether they were babies, children, grandmothers, whatever it is, uh, because oh, Mossad and oh, because whatever, that, that kind of lets you know the descent to where many unfortunately have gone, right? Uh, the inability to condemn, right? So, and to your other, your first point, one of the most disingenuous uh, arguments made against Israel is one that will talk about what they, the government has or has not done. You know what? We can go through list of governments. I won't even name them, right? But we just pick some of the most rogue actors that you can think of. And is anyone running around talking about that state doesn't have the right to exist, right? But somehow, Israelis have this litmus test that if there's any type of flaw anywhere, that's some sort of evidence that Israel shouldn't be on the map. Another thing that because of disinformation, people have been kind of sucked into. And as you said, right, even as Americans, and I love my country as well. And I plenty of as a young people would say on the street, lots of receipts about stuff that I don't like, appreciate very much, but that doesn't mean I'm trying to burn down the country, right? Or I'm, I don't believe that America has the right to exist. This is what's actually happening now, and people are seeing it kind of live and living color in a way that they haven't in this country before. They really are, and it's biblical in a way. It brings me back to, you know, the Israelis said, Lord, we want a king like the other nations. Can you give us a king? And here's the Lord, our proper king, saying, uh, you've got a king. And they're like, no, 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 I, 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 yeah, but, but we want a king down here. And so what did God do? Said, you want a king? Okay, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And, and there, sure, there have been some good kings, but there are an awful lot of bad kings of Israel. And so, too, with all governments. You're absolutely correct. We can go around the entire globe, and every single government in every single country in the world has, at one time or another, uh, not been so great because why? These are institutions of men. These aren't. Right. These aren't divinely ins uh, appointed institutions. These are institutions that are man-made and, and, and suffer the same, including including the Roman Catholic Church. I'm the first to admit that the Vatican uh, needs some sprucing up now and again. But uh, yeah, it, it really I, goes it really goes back to Joshua, doesn't it? It it really does. Uh, it, these principles, Tim, are so amazing. You talk about these biblical principles of governance, man, man's heart. Right? Jeremiah said, "The heart is deceitfully wicked." All these things are true. Our own government, based on the the scriptures, right? Based on what the what the prophet says, what Moses said. Here you have these founding fathers who were not. Jews in that sense, especially not religious Jews, right? But they honored the Jewish roots of their faith. And that's where they have, we have the, the most long, the longest standing uh, constitution in the world, right? And it's based on those principles, right? So you're absolutely right. I, I think that uh, once again, when people realize how deep the rabbit hole of anti-Semitism really goes, um, which I believe, again, if there's any type of silver lining to a lot of the Jew hatred we see going on in our own streets here in the United States, uh, people are able to see the level to which some hate 
Jews so much, right? That even if you don't like Israel, why are you in Los Angeles at a shul heckling or attacking or chasing these people or in New York or in Miami? What in the world does that have to do with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? And again, it has everything to do with Jew hatred. Well, that's it exactly. In fact, I don't know if you saw what happened up at the Zara store in Montreal, but they practically burned the thing down because of a misperception of an ad campaign that Zara ran. And yes. this really, as we look at it, let's let's not kid ourselves. This is demonically inspired. And <laughs> I don't know that it's so much that they this event has brought out the inner Nazi of people mm -hmm. is it did rip off the mask that they've been putting on. They've been right. they've been this way all along. I had no idea that Jew hatred ran so deep. And you know, I'd heard about Holocaust deniers. When I was in college, I took a course in the Holocaust by one of the leading researchers, Michael Dubkowski, and, and he brought a Holocaust survivor into Dasani. And this was a woman who was, uh, this was in 1984, it was the winter of 83, 84 that I took the class. So she had to have been in her 80s, which would have made her a little girl when she was in the camps. And at the end of her presentation to us, and there are only... 25, 30 people in the class. Mm -hmm. She made each of us come up to the front and run our finger along the number that was tattooed under her forearm. Mm -hmm. And with each one of us, she looked us in the eyes and said, don't ever let anyone tell you this never happened. Yeah. I get emotional just thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet here we have entire generations now, plural, of right. young Americans who think right. that the Holocaust is a hoax. Right, right. Well, when you when you first started, you were asking me about some of my background, and uh, one of the things that I, I tend to do in our org, the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, we highlight this historic tie between the Black American and Jewish community that goes back, you know, over a century, right? And when you consider something like what the Nazis did to the Jewish people, but to others as well, there was something called. Uh, what the Nazis called the Rhineland bastards, right? These were Germans who had taken African wives and and they had children, quote unquote, mulatto children. And the Nazis experimented on them. They did genetic exercises on them. They killed them. Many of them went missing. And we talked about that same common denominator. The, Nazi, the, the Nazis' hatred for the Jews was also hatred for Af uh, 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 black people, Africans, hatred for gypsies, ha hatred for you name, whoever else was there that they felt was not the quote unquote superior race, right? And this was the same when it came to the United States. When you had things like the Klan or neo-Nazis that would attack the, the Jewish people, they would attack us. And that would, had a lot to do with the, the unity that was forged, particularly when you're looking at the earlier part of the 20th century, the forming of the NAACP by black Americans and Jewish Americans, Booker T. Washington, Julius Rosenwald, building Rosenwald schools that had everything to do with shared experiences uh, and has has a lot to do with why that those relationships continue to go so deep even to this day. And yes, and to your point, unfortunately, we are seeing in our society the frame of that, that whole disinformation from the Palestinian Authority, from others who would try to uh, use these types of canards against Israel that are race. This has been going on, unfortunately, Tim, for decades, and we are seeing the results of it on our college campuses and other places. We are indeed. And I want to talk about that after the break. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio.
De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Apparently, the climate cabal is freaking out. From Al Gore to John Kerry and down to the oddest imported student radical, they're freaking out over the final text as the climate talks in Dubai near their conclusion. At issue is whether the outcome will call for the phase-out of fossil fuels or merely call for fossil fuel reduction and similar, as they put it, weasel words. Either term will leave nations with tons of wiggle room to avoid or delay destroying their economies through energy starvation. And that's the big question. Do you want to starve because you have no energy? Or do you want to continue to eat because you do have energy? Hmm, that is an interesting question. I wonder which one I would choose. As veterans of the UN climate process since the whole shebang began, taking a look at this, we've seen this play out before. No matter what happens, the conference officials will emerge bleary-eyed and proclaim a major victory, leaving it up to the rest of us to sort through what happened and figure it out. Often, as is likely this time, the conference ends in de facto collapse. In fact, Al Gore, that's right, the high priest, said that the conference is on the verge of complete failure because he wants fossil fuels phased out completely. <sighs> I wish Al Gore the best, I hope him a long life, but I wish his presence on the world stage would be phased out. If they could actually agree on that, then it would be a success. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather, even if you're not in Dubai. It's the only weather you got. The next time you think you can illegally handle your mobile phone while driving, and get away with it. Think again. Phone detection cameras are in operation on New South Wales roads. Hello? So if you're driving and illegally handle your mobile phone, you can stop it or cop it. Political neutrality. Not with Timothy Shea. This is The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Masonry, I'm old enough to remember the 1960s. One of my first memories was watching John F. Kennedy's funeral from my playpen. And wow. the, the entire weekend, the women crying, my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, uh, my father and my uncles discussing, you know, whether there'd be an NFL football game that weekend. I remember vividly when I, yeah, I was a little Alex P. Keaton, okay? I was, I was very big into reading the newspaper and and watching the tv news from a very early age six seven years old i remember you know i was six when when martin and then bobby were killed in 1968. those left vivid impressions on my young memory and i tell people that what we're seeing on college campuses today and what we're seeing in society today are the fruits of the seeds that were planted in the 60s because this really is the in the 60s when people say the 60s it was really 1967 to 1975 when we pulled out of <laughs> vietnam if you look if you go back at, at colleges and look at uh the composite photos and fraternities, for example. The young guys that all be clean cut up until 1966. It started to get a little shaggy haired in 66. And by 70, uh, by 67, they all had long hair and, and, and you know, were full on hippies. Some had beards and, and the whole the whole bit. 
this right now is kind of the revenge of the 60s it's 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 the 60s come back to haunt us and it's because the people in charge are people that all came of age during that time including these college presidents who are marxist to their core and really truly hate this country hate jews hate christians uh, what are we going to do to pull back from the brink uh, i believe it was yuri bezbanov the famous now deceased KGB defector who said there's nothing you can do about the ones who are already indoctrinated. You have to just raise up another generation of patriotic Americans, right? I'll never forget that. You, I'm sure you've probably seen that very famous right, interview yeah. by now, late 70s, early 80s. And so that's kind of my response. I was, someone was asking me about the college situation, especially, and they said it's, it's, it's corrupt to the core. So I don't th think you can reform that. And what I mean by that, honestly, is I'm talking about parents and as they're making decisions with their children about what they're gonna do with their careers and what they're going to do, just don't go to those schools, right? There are other alternative schools that you can go to, different things, that different paths to different careers. But if you know that the college that you're considering and your child is still listening to you parents, but you know it is a Marxist, you know, through and through and your child's gonna come out pretty brainwashed, or the useful idiot, I believe, as either Stalin or the other one said it, then you don't want to send them there and play Russian roulette, as I think Dennis Prager said, with your child that way. The 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 Israel part of it particularly is the most, as we know now, right? The, the hatred for Israel, hatred for the United States, as you said, Tim, and we're seeing it. Yeah, we are reaping what we've sown over these past 50 plus years. And I would even argue, perhaps, counsel the youngster, to consider not going to college unless you want to be a doctor, lawyer, an accountant, a professional that requires a co college degree. Is it yes, really sir. that good an investment? The problem with the federal government getting involved in the student loan market and distorting it as they have and finally taking mm -hmm. it over back in the 1990s mm -hmm. is that college kind of became a place to be seen as where you go to find yourself, to find, to figure out what you want to do with life. Well, that's an awful, awfully expensive way to figure out what you want to do in life. As far as I'm concerned, I went to college with a specific goal in mind. And even though I didn't attain that goal, getting into medical school, I was waitlisted at a couple schools, but never got in, which ironically now I see is, is the hand of the Holy ghost staying me from my own <laughs> desires because I would hate being a doctor now. Uh, I think trade school is a much better option. I, I'm of the yeah. position. I've always been, you know, I've taught at the secondary and undergraduate level. I'm a, a staunch believer in education, but yes, I think a third to half the college in this, in this country need to go out of business. I, we are about my wife and I are both educators. My wife taught in public school for a while. We actually homeschooled our kids, um, all six of them. And I'm a, of course, I'm a music educator and everything. And we've had the opportunity to do that. Charter schools, homeschools, public schools. And when I say that, I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm flashing my, my, my credentials. I'm saying I've had a lot of experience just kind of watching sure. that. And we are firm believers in education choice, right? From the time that they're little kids, right? Until they're young adults going to college or trade school or whatever they're doing post high school. There are many different paths to learning. And as you know, Tim, many different paths to careers, right? There are many people who never got a college degree who are making much more money than some of the kids who got degrees in which they can't find a job 
uh, and are still paying off the student loans, right? That was one of the most unfortunate things that our government did in working with these universities like Harvard that has, last time I checked, a $50 billion endowment. Oh, and by the way, while the PPE, whatever that was during the whole time when people were getting money during the whole COVID thing, Harvard gets that money as well, right? On top of their endowment, right? So it's a really, it's a serious money-making scheme while that you're paying them to indoctrinate your kid, right? That's actually what's been going on for a while. Uh, and this, unfortunately, like you said, the seeds of this were sown even before the 60s, but now, but we're talking about now, it, it, I, to my opinion, it got a, a turbo boost in the 60s, right? You mentioned John F. Kennedy, that you, you talk about his assassinated in 63, Malcolm X is in 65, you said King and Robert Kennedy's in 68, one of the most turbulent periods in our nation's history, and our nation changed forever during that period of time, and we're still seeing that change now. We are indeed. And you're right. It goes it goes back to before the Russian Revolution. It really goes back to Marx. In fact, I take it back all the way to the brilliant Irish uh, parliamentarian, Edmund Burke, who wrote mm. Reflections on the Revolution in France. And people mm. often misquote the title and call it Reflections on the French Revolution. And that wasn't it. He specifically called it Reflections mm -hmm. on the Revolution in France because he saw that the anti-monarchical uh, revolution that was going on in France in the late uh, 1780s into 1790s was part mm -hmm. of a much broader revolution that was brought on by the rationalists, by Rousseau and the Enlightenment thinkers. And he basically presaged Marx before Marx was even born. This is the logical outcome of what Edmund Burke saw in 1790. Wow. 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 I, I it, it is amazing that what has what we've done now is what the progressive movement, um, I guess the first uh, official progressive in the White House was a Woodrow Wilson back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, this is now part and parcel staples of that movement, the anti-Zionism, the anti-Semitism, the anti-American sentiment, right? And that also, along with the Soviet disinformation that you were kind of alluding to, especially when the 60s came, is a sowing of a seed of a hatred for Israel, a racial division, right? Not a celebration of cultural heritage, but a, a but a hatred of the other, right? This person is black, this person is white, this person is white. This divisive type of thing, hatred for the founding fathers, hatred for the founding of the nation, which is a nation cannibalizing itself, right? Even when those who attempt to do that and then harken back to the days of the civil rights leaders, I always have to check them and say, you know what, Dr. King, when they marched on Washington in 1963, it wasn't to burn down the White House or to burn down the state capitol. It was to actually hold the nation accountable for its founding. That's why he quoted the document back to itself. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. The Jim Crow system was imposed on the Constitution, which was unconstitutional for the entire century that it was existed after the Civil War. And those black Americans and those with them, disproportionately with them, Jews, right, are, are there marching and saying black people have the right to vote. Black people have the right to go to school where they want to go to school or live where they want to live in terms of them being Americans. It was not a let's burn this country to the ground. And this is what often what these kids are being radicalized with now. They think that uh, change, positive change is, and they'll even say it, burning it to the ground, right? And we are seeing that in some literal senses happening right now. And we see organizations like BLM, which I call Black Lives Matter, because uh, Mike, Michael Floyd was not a gentle giant, I'm sorry, uh, Michael. Um, uh, Michael. Um, 
I did the same thing. Mike Brown. Yes, sir. Brown, Brown, Brown. Thank yes, you. Sir. And yes, sir. Michael Absolutely. Brown was not a gentle giant. George Floyd yes, was sir. yelling, I can't breathe while he was standing up as they were trying to get him in the uh, police car. And it, the yes, reverse uh, angle video shows that Derek Chauvin was kneeling on his shoulder, not on his neck. And it, it, but yet we have institutional support. We've got the NFL. We've got all the major sports leagues. We've got all the Fortune 500 companies pouring mm. millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into organizations like this, which yes, openly state, in addition to being run as money laundering operations, openly yes. state their antipathy to the Constitution. <laughs> We're eating ourselves as a society. Yes. Absolutely, I, I tell people. Along with that, BLM not only takes false narratives and then does its own Marxist, and then they they call themselves the founders, right? We are proud trained Marxists, right? Which is what Patrice Culler said about yeah. herself and her and her colleague. And then along with that, which is what confused people so much, right? Even the ones who could kind of wrap their brains around, okay, these are Marxists, they're anti-American, anti-constitution. They're trying to figure out how the Israel Jewish part got in there. So, oh, simple. I tell them BLM was PLO in blackface, right? They took Yasser Arafat's hatred for Israel. He used all those justice words as a ploy, right? All he wanted to do was kill all the Jews, right? BLM then comes and says, we want justice, we want justice. And oh, by the way, free, free Palestine. Like, wait, wait, how the hell did you get 8,000 miles away to Israeli-Palestinian? conflict from Ferguson. What's going on? Oh, oh, I see. You're exploiting what's going on to use it for your own purposes. And a lot of people were duped by that. We we saw what was going on because we recognized the language. We recognized the jargon, Tim. And so, yes, this it is a, for their purposes, a hatred for Israel, hatred for Jews, hatred for America, right? Hatred for capitalism, hatred for democracy. And the next thing you know, people are pouring millions of their dollars into it to destroy their own country. That's that's what has been going on for a while now. It has, and, and it's not anything new because there's no such place as Palestine and there's no such people as Palestinians. The residents of the West Bank were Transjordanians before Transjordan attacked Israel in 1967, lost that war, and ended up losing the territory west of the Jordan River. And instead of taking their own people back, the, mm -hmm. the new kingdom of Jordan left them there because they saw more value in them as political tools against Israel than they did seeing them as human beings that were family and, and citizens of their country and, and bringing them back home. Likewise with Egypt and the Gaza Strip. And Yasser Arafat was Egypt. He wasn't a Palestinian, he was an Egyptian. So it, it goes Egypt. back to that. But I tie this also, Dumasani, in with the whole transhumanism movement, right? This whole push toward AI. Mm. And essentially, and I alluded earlier to the Enlightenment thinkers, Rousseau particularly, mm. this whole humanism movement is, is committing the same sin that Lucifer committed, trying to equate with God, right? It's trying to elevate right. man to God. Lucifer tried to equate the angels with God. And that's what we're doing now with this transhumanism, with mm -hmm. all of the anti-Israel and anti-American rhetoric and, and violence. We're, we're trying to elevate humanity to the role of God. And we just heard from Joe Bastardi during the break on global warming. That's another aspect of it. We're mm -hmm. going to, today they announced, Dumasami, that we're going to cap warming at 1.2 degrees centigrade. As if human beings have, have the power to control anything with regard to God's creation, much less global temperatures. 
and then shut down all debate around any of those yeah. things, including from other climate scientists who happen to not agree, like you said, and have other evidence to the contrary, right? And that's unfortunately how people get herded in that in that way, Tim. And no, absolutely. I, I think that where where we are now, when you talked about the the biblical part of it, Lucifer, I often think about Nimrod. The Bible talks about Nimrod, and I believe it's Josephus, which more Christians, uh, you know, will access than our Jewish brothers and sisters. They don't call it a part of the sages, but he explained that Nimrod, when he built that tower, he was the one who organized the people to build a tower. And in the Genesis, it says to build a tower whose top was heaven, but in actuality, to build a tower so that they could kill God. His mindset was to organize everyone and let them know, hey, God is there, but he's mean, he's evil. We're going to build a tower up to him and overthrow him. So as you said, that's the ultimate secular humanism that says, no, I'm God, right? There's not a God, I'm God. And so here are my rules, here's my regulations, which we know history has taught us always descends into bloodletting, always descends into genocide, because, of course, man is not God. Absolutely. And, you know, we're trying to do it with the transsexuals as well. Well, God made a mistake. I, I, I'm really I'm really a woman, and God made a mistake, and so I'm going to surgically alter my body and present myself as a woman to the world. And it, it's, it's, you know, everywhere we look, we're seeing the same pattern playing out over and over, Dasani. It is, we are at a time now where truth more than ever before and fact and evidence is irrelevant and it just becomes about rhetoric. It becomes about what I feel, what I think, and that keeps getting affixed to just about everything, right? Uh, and it is collapsing us as a society, right? Whereas not only is that becoming the rule, just what someone thinks or feels or whatever they visualize, but then even debate around that thing again gets shut down. And this is a very, very dangerous moment that we are in in our uh, nation that it, almost at a point of no return, if we can't agree on some basic things like what either sex someone is or uh, whether or not what the definition of terrorism is, all of these things that I've said often to other people that once we as a society can no longer affix definition to words. If man no longer means man, woman no longer, no longer means woman. I told activists, then justice no longer means justice. Truth no longer means truth. It means it's in the eye of the beholder, right? So this is where we are. Many will bristle at that, but it's just the actual truth. And we are, again, we're reaping the, that whirlwind right now. We certainly are. And I like to leave people on a positive note. And so I'll just say that I know you've read ahead, I've read ahead, and in the end, God wins. Absolutely. In fact, God exists outside of time and space, and this is what I try to explain to people, that God exists outside of time and space. He's already won. It just hasn't happened here on this physical plane yet, but he's already won, and we can take faith in that, and, and we can take heart and know that there are men like you out there and families like the one that you and your beautiful wife have created fighting the good fight pushing the word and standing up for people that everyone should stand up for our elder brothers and sisters in faith, the Jews. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, to, to end on your note as well, even in during this time of Hanukkah, 
It's called the Festival of Lights, right? Because in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of the winter, light expels darkness, right? So just as our Jewish brothers and sisters have to believe and have faith and know that they've been through this many, many times, right? They'll often say they, the, in those ceremonies, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat, right? So we recognize that it's because the word of God says that he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. So because God is the one on the job, we can rest assured that everything's going to work out. Amen. And remember, it only takes one light to dispel the darkness, so be that light. Dumasani, thank you so much for a great interview. That's it for tonight's Reckoning on TNT Radio. Stay tuned for the Havorier Morit Show. I'm Timothy Shea. Until next time, God bless you. God bless these United States. Keep fighting the good fight.